was last year when Utah asked me to uh, speak to the youth, and I was excited to do it. A little change in venue, I don't think I ever really matured past middle school anyway, so I was kind of excited to teach the young, young people. And I started plotting and planning, and how am I going to give that, you know, a great word-centered talk, but in a way that engages the youth. So I showed up with, with these two props, a sledgehammer and some scaffolding. And uh, had a lot of fun communicating the truths of God's word to the youth. Afterwards, we even went out in the parking lot and smashed some things with the sledgehammer. It was a lot of fun. And then afterwards, I, I went to Utah and I just said, hey, I'd love to get some feedback. You know, I don't teach in that venue and want to hear from you. And uh, he was so gracious and encouraging. But he said, now, James, one of the things that I'm trying to get after when I teach the youth is I, I want what I do to as closely as possible resemble what happens typically in a service, a worship service. Because I, I, don't, I, I want to be preparing them to be part of a regular worship service. In other words, cut the props. <laughs> and I love that. That was so encouraging to me. And I love that Utah is... The youth pastor for four of my children right now, and next year, five of my children. But I'm not totally cured. So, in this message, I'm going to use two props. I'm going to give you two things, Utah, but just to honor you so you're not totally disenchanted with me, we'll keep them metaphorical props. So, I'm not actually going to have a prop. And here are the two things I want to give you. One is a pair of glasses that will serve you well as a pastor. And the other is a road sign that will serve you well as a pastor. Here's why I've decided to give you these two things. It's because they are two of the main things that I think Jesus gives his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. In many ways, Matthew's Gospel is a discipleship handbook. It's all moving towards the Great Commission where his disciples are commissioned to make disciples of all nations. And so Matthew has ordered that gospel and and, and chosen what he wants to include to emphasize the things Jesus did to teach his disciples so that when he sends them out to make disciples of all nations and baptize and teach, they know what Jesus has said for them. That's what Matthew wants for them. So at almost every moment in in Matthew's gospel, it's either teaching the disciples what true ministry is all about or exposing what a sham the Pharisees' religion is. Really what I want to do in this message is take the lessons of the book of Matthew and give them to you on this night when you are ordained into gospel ministry. So the first thing I want to give you, Utah, is a pair of glasses. But not ordinary glasses. These are x-ray glasses. Because our eyes tend to only see what's on the surface. And when that's what you're looking at, you can't see how God's kingdom grows. Jesus wanted his disciples to know the nature of how his kingdom grew. Instead of giving them x-ray glasses, he told them two parables. 
and I want you to listen to them, even though they'll be familiar to you. They're from chapter 13. 13 and verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. We're so inclined to measure kingdom growth by bigger numbers or greater influence, bigger budgets, taller buildings and the like. But Jesus is teaching that his kingdom grows in hidden and unseen ways like leaven working through dough. It's doing something even though you can't see it doing anything. And, he says, in God's kingdom, often what's small and unnoticed is what proves to be the biggest and most important, like that tiny mustard seed that grows to the largest of garden plants. So, Utah, I call on you to put on x-ray glasses. You will have time when your ministry balloons and all is going well, Kids in your youth ministry love you. The parents love you. All the community kids wants to come. Or perhaps you're a senior pastor of a popular church in town or a rapidly growing church. It's filled with people singing your praises. And without the glasses that Jesus is giving you, you'll be tempted to think that, hey, my ministry is worthwhile. You'll be tempted to think, I'm really doing something for Jesus. Or conversely, the tide will turn and suddenly your youth group will dwindle or parents will turn on you or perhaps that church you senior pastor doesn't grow. In fact, it shrinks. All your weaknesses and foibles are magnified. Perhaps friends will distance themselves from you. And without these glasses, you'll be tempted to think that your ministry is a failure, that you're not accomplishing anything for Jesus, that yours is a failed ministry. So keep putting the x-ray glasses on. When we faithfully sow the word and love people, when we pray earnestly and fulfill the call God's placed on our life, God will allow his kingdom to grow in hidden and unexpected ways. What you think is growth may not be, but there is growth happening all along. That's why the glasses are so important. They blind you to what you think matters and open your eyes to what's really happening. That's my first prop, my first gift to you. And the second is a road sign. Imagine one of those old signs that when you 
sitting there when you come to a fork in the road pointing two different directions and labeling each direction for you. Because in Matthew's gospel, Jesus holds forth for his disciples two drastically different models for ministry. Remember I said much of what he's doing is exposing the sham of the Pharisees' religion. So one path he holds out to them is the path of faithful, rewarded service. And the other path, it's marked by pitfalls and dangers. And if you are to be a useful servant of Christ, Utah, you must know the difference between these two paths. So I want you to listen to how Jesus describes the the genuine, the faithful path of kingdom service, starting in chapter 10, verses 16 to 26. He tells them, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. They called the master of the house Beelzebul. How much more will they malign those of his household? And then listen to what Jesus says a little later in chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Utah, the king that we follow was betrayed, abandoned, mocked, tortured, and then crucified. And when that king talks to his disciples, he didn't tell them, well, well, you guys are going to be spared this path. It's just me. He said just the opposite. He says the way of the cross is exactly what we should expect. The path of the servant of Christ is the cruciform path. You will need to depend upon others 
financially, you won't be able to have the house you want, the vacation you want, the car you want. You'll be mocked, betrayed, criticized. Others will claim to know your motives and then will impugn you for them, often wrongly. Or they'll seize upon actual deficiencies in you and devour you for them. And the scriptures are saying they'll do this because of your choice to be a minister of Christ. And what I mean is you could have avoided all of this. Very broadly speaking, to be one of Christ's ordained, shepherd, ordained shepherds means you will, you will know a cruciform life. It will be a life at times without glory, a life of going without, a life of suffering. And so when you're frustrated and wounded, And weary, I want you to get out the road sign and see this is the path of genuine ministry. This is the path that Jesus marked out for you. It's the path of useful ministry. Of course, I could qualify this in all sorts of ways. Not everybody who suffers is on the right path and not every moment of Christian ministry is heartache. Thank God. But the overall thrust of Jesus' words is nonetheless clear. When things are enormously hard, it's not ultimately because of the church you're in or your stage of life. It's just because you're on the same path as Jesus, your king, who died in order to gain victory. But I said this road sign is at the fork of two roads, pointing one way, this is what genuine ministry looks like, but also pointing you another way. So the genuine road, the right road, is a road of suffering and humility and heartache, but the other road is fraught with dangers to your ministry. And I want to draw attention to three different dangers that Jesus wants his disciples to avoid at all cost. So the first danger and this wrong road is rivalry and jockeying. So look at 18 verses 1 to 4. We're told at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then just a few chapters ahead in chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before Jesus, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We're able. He said to them, You will drink my cup. 
but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's an impulse in us as men to try to be the best, to climb the ladder. And that impulse has a carnal side to it, especially in pastoral ministry. We can be constantly measuring ourselves with, the other, with other pastors. Where do I fit in the pecking order? And how do I climb higher? Maybe we want the bigger church or the position on that board or some widely read blog or certain speaking engagements. Or maybe when you get further along in life, you look back and think, I thought I'd be somewhere different by now. I thought my church would be bigger or I'd have a bigger office or I'd have accomplished more or whatever silly thing it could be. And I think this is the kind of thinking that Jesus is correcting. We can also compare ourselves to others and become jealous of others' apparent success. Our bitter thoughts will say, I can do what he can, maybe even a little better. I should be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And when you feel that inside you, I want you to remember the road sign Jesus gave, saying this is a dangerous path. Get off of it. Repent. Be faithful to God. Be a servant. And remember how the kingdom grows. Do the work in front of you and let God sort out all the rest of this stuff. That's not the only danger Jesus warns against. He also tells them to avoid performing for man. So go to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. And I want you to listen to the repetition on this portion in the Sermon on the Mount. First in verses 1 to 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then skipping down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You hear Jesus' point, it's pretty clear, right? God, your Father, is your only audience. Don't do your religious work 
for the approval, praise, and reward of man. But here's the problem. The praise of man is so much more immediate and tangible. So it feels so gratifying. It feels good to have people say good things about us. We like to be liked. But as soon as we lose a sense that we are Christ's ministers who operate for his praise and his eyes only, we're in a dangerous place. So Utah, only please God. When you feel pulled to use the many gifts God's given you to show off or to impress people with what a great pastor you are, and you will feel those temptations, when you feel that, repent. Remember this road sign that's giving you. It's flashing. Danger, danger, danger. And this road sign in Matthew's gospel warns of a third and final danger. It's calling us to avoid hawking our own ideas. Avoid hawking our own ideas. In chapter 15, verses 3 to 9. Jesus answered the Pharisees, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines... The commandments of men. Utah, you're wise. And you will grow more in wisdom as you move through life. And you're also smart. You're able to think both deeply and thoroughly about things. And sometimes then, you'll be tempted to give people your wisdom and your smarts Instead of God's. So you'll have worked out some way of living out being a Christian. You've worked through really, really well. And you'll want to become the salesman for that approach. In those moments, cease and desist. When you start teaching your own ideas, no matter how noble and good they are, you'll not be helping God's word, but rather making it void. I'm not saying you can never share your way of doing something or some wise insight you've stumbled upon, but you never want to become the salesman for that way of thinking. You gotta, you're, you're out there holding a flag, waving it. And the only flag you want to be holding and waving is the flag of God's word. There's my two props for you. X-ray glasses so you can focus on the hidden growth. And a road sign so that you can differentiate right from wrong paths of ministry.
I said only two props, but I want to close by giving you something else. It's also not a prop, but this one's a gaze. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10, verses 28 to 33. He tells his disciples, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You're of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And then the very close of Matthew's gospel, his last words to his disciples begin, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You've got to have a certain gaze, Utah. Because you are not strong enough for pastoral ministry. Your brain's not smart enough. Your shoulders aren't broad enough. Ministry will beat you down and it will exhaust you. But your heavenly father loves you. He knows the hairs of your head. And his son has all authority and he is strong. So you think of that, Peter, that story Matthew tells about Peter getting out of the boat in the choppy waves. And when his gaze is on Jesus, he's able to walk. When his gaze is down here, he begins to sink. So where's your gaze? That's really the key to it all. Look to Jesus. Look to him, not yourself. Look to him to know his love for you as your heavenly father. Look to him and know his strength. Look to him and know his constancy. Look to him because he's just. He knows it all and he vindicates. And I think that your true successes in ministry Utah will largely depend on how locked in that gaze is. You need Jesus. You need his gospel. You need his grace, his forgiveness. You need his love, his acceptance. You need his sovereignty, his all-seeing eyes, his power. So fix your gaze on him. Matthew's gospel gives you glasses, gives you a road sign, gives you a gaze. So go and make disciples in the strength that Jesus provides.